time, weather, and... Always Welcome to the Jay and Pal Podcast Experience. Listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. Welcome to episode 90 of the Staff Room Podcast. Our topic today is talking about racism and oppression with our students. These past few weeks have been very heavy with many difficult events that have happened in Canada and also all over the world. As teachers, we've wanted to bring these conversations to the forefront, but in ways that are sensitive and appropriate for our age groups and demographics in the spaces in which we teach. In this episode, we hope to be able to do that. I'm truly looking forward to this conversation, but before we get into it, I should probably introduce myself. My name is Pav Wander. I'm a teacher, an amateur TikToker, and, well, I guess a podcast and radio show co-host. I do have a counterpart, and he's here with me, and he always introduces himself. My old man used to tell me, Forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. Oh. And that's quite the resume you got, Pav. Uh, I'm just a middle school teacher. <laughs> that's all I got. And um, I added the extras for fluff. That's great. You know, we've hit 90, so we can add some fluff. We can pad the resume. So we got 10 more to go? You can't wait to how big my resume is going to be when we hit 100. Mm, it's going to be... Uh something but pav you brought up uh this topic this week is a heavy topic Mm -hmm. and uh it reminds me of a couple things when we want to talk about Mm anti-racism and dealing with uh racism issues and colonial oppression in our classroom is we need not look much further than our classrooms our communities our cities our country i think one of the things we deal with a lot in Canada is that we point and look at a lot of other examples and often neglect our own and consequently trivialize the vast racism that is embedded in our own culture, in our own communities, in our own spaces. And so you talked about that before, is that it's been a very heavy week sort of building up. And um, maybe we will talk about some of them specifically, but you just, you highlighted that right at the beginning. It was, and for me, it's just a great reminder as a teacher, you know, you don't, you don't need to look to far and away 
to try to deal and talk and why you need to talk about racism. It's right here. It's right in front of you. Yeah, I wanted to address really quickly. That's such a it's it's a very valid point um, that that it is it is all around us. And um, I know that this is kind of an underlying theme for many Canadians to to sort of push this issue of racism and oppression under the rug and and sort of use that statement as a diversion as a diversion tactic almost to say that, oh, well, this is not a Canada thing. You know, that, that kind of thing doesn't happen in Canada. And, um, I, you know, reflecting on my, my youth, reflecting on my childhood, I can recall growing up with that bias. I can recall growing up with, well, that's, that's an American thing, or this only happens in this part of the world. Um, and so if, if I feel like I, I grew up with that bias, then imagine that our students are also feeling that perhaps as well, that, that this is not something that directly affects us. And so we don't really need to talk about it with such urgency as perhaps other parts of the world. But this is, as you highlighted, Che, this is just simply not true. And we've unfortunately had to see that over the past couple of weeks here in Canada with such um, devastating news, devastating discoveries, and devastating incidences that have happened right here in Canada. And the the two main ones that I think are been foundational to sort of um, want us to talk about it this week was the 215 unmarked graves of Indigenous children at a Canadian residential school. Uh, and you can say it's a BC school, but ultimately, I think what we all know is that these type of unmarked graves are going to be uh, paramount in many um, residential schools. And so this has been just, it tears a fabric in sort of any sort of false narrative we've created. And then we had a uh, local Muslim family that was murdered on the street in a hate crime just plowed over with their car and you and you think well we we live in this fallacy too often that we're we're distant from all of this because we're canadians and it's simply as you stated not true and so we need to be uh privy we need to be aware we need to be engaging in our teaching practices that addresses this racism that is not far away it is close by and that's why uh, well, that, that wasn't exactly why. We knew this was on our mind. We know this has been in some of our teachings all week going into it. But I think the time we decided that we wanted to talk about this was, if I had to bring it back to an anecdote, is, you know, you gather a lot of information and there's many different places to sort of inform yourself. And we know where we lend ourselves. We love listening to uh, Pamela Agua and Kalinda Klein and Debbie Donsky and Jason Toe. These are people that we instinctively trust and value and they welcome us into their learning spaces and so Pamela Agua was on the local news talking about why it was so important to deal with racism uh, with your students at a, and she dealt with the wide spectrum of age that it wasn't just solely something for an older kid to try to learn and process and that it was actually our responsibility to make sure we had it embedded in our teachings at a very early age. Now that could look, you talked about that in the opening, it's going to look a little differently. But I think when we, when we get to dealing with sort of these incidents, and we've talked about this in a previous episode about dealing with current events, but when we become 
only able to react to current events and then try to bring stuff into our space. This is where we don't want to be. We don't want to be reactionary and we don't want to be thinking that these are sort of token or one-off or um, extreme circumstances that I deal with now with the anticipation that they won't happen again or that they're somehow unique. Mm -hmm. I think what we come across when we want to talk about racism and oppression and colonial oppression is that it's here all the time. It might be subtle and it may be nuanced. And these gross atrocities may happen. They will happen. But they're not in and of themselves the only thing that needs to be dealt with and content with. As a teacher, it's not for me solely to address this issue. It's to realize that there was work that had to be done beforehand that allows me to deal with these issues. Because, of course, talking about racism and and, and anti-racism, it can't solely be about deficit stories and deficit language. You can't simply just decide to bring in tough conversations about racism in our society, if this is your first entry point. And I think that's where we wanted to go to. So uh, when we heard that Pamela on the news, we said, okay, let's let's formulate our own opinions. Let's, let's, let's talk about our own teaching. We've been active in our classroom all week as we, not even this week, we've been active in our classroom all year on social justice. And these moments were just, again, more moments to engage in critical, necessary conversation. Great reminder uh, conversations because as you talked about that before it looks differently wherever you are and, and we know for me I'm a white male teaching a like, almost entirely racialized class and so new vernacular we've been uh, learning from Dwayne Brown was that vernac- uh, racialized students of color mm-hmm. and because um, we've been using that expression that's the expression we've been hearing a lot but he articulated articulated to us in a conversation that um even addressing students as racialized, there's a school of thought that implies that we're all racialized. Mm-hmm. And so you even go racialized students that are white or, ra- or, or racialized students of color. And so even in our own learning, and this, this is some new learning for me this week, and uh, I just add that on before you dive into the next part. Yeah, and, and the next part is, is basically just responding to uh, some of the gems that you have dropped just uh, just prior chase so thank you for that um we really do utilize this space and this time to consolidate out all of our thoughts and and so this happens in so many different forms so many different ways as as you mentioned we've we've um we've learned from so many people and so many different spaces and there's information coming at you from every which direction and and sometimes it can become very overwhelming and so part of the reason why Che and I have these conversations is uh is to consolidate our own thoughts is to make sense of everything that we've absorbed over this past week or weeks or year or years and uh and make sense of it all and sort of put it together in a way that is coherent and that's something that we can now then uh take back to our students so um i think that what we want to do is is discuss when where to start when to start how to start you know there are so many questions when it comes to how do we teach about racism to our students um how do we teach about oppression colonial oppression there are so many layers to it and where where does one begin with this and uh and what should we do and um and i'm thinking about a conversation that i had with my seven-year-old son a few days ago and um, we were talking about uh, fair and unfair and something when bad things happen to people. And I know where my headspace was at when I was bringing up this conversation. Uh, but my seven-year-old had no idea. And 
And so I, I sort of brought up the, uh, the Afzal fam- family that was uh, murdered a few, a few days ago in London, Ontario. And um, I didn't quite bring it up that way. I said, uh, I said, do you know about the family? Do you know about the family that was out for a walk? And he said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And, um, and so I said, you know, it's, it's something really sad that happened. Um, a family was out for a walk, very much like when we go for a walk outside in the evening or during the day or when it's nice outside, we go for a walk in the community. And someone drove their car into that family. And they did it because they didn't like them. And so we talked about it. Um, and we talked and, and he was very under, like, I kind of, I had to gauge what he was able to comprehend, what he was able to, um, empathize with. And when things became a little bit too stressful for him, I had to really monitor what was happening, uh, in that moment. And I, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't overstep, uh, some of those sensitive barriers that may have existed. So I wanted to ask him, you know, what, what do you know about this? Did you talk about this with your teacher? Is something, is there something that you already know about this? And then I sort of kind of guided, we, we, I, I told the story just based on the reactions, the emotions that I was getting from him so that I would know when and where to stop with the story. And, uh, after all of it, he said, well, you know what, what I think, mom, I think that the worst decision of all, of all of this story, the worst thing that had happened, the, the silliest thing that has happened to all of this was the person who was driving the car. And so that was, for me, that was kind of like, okay, well, he gets it. He gets it that it's, it's wrong to do something like this. Um, so I, I, I had a, an idea that, okay, this is probably a good place to stop for today. Um, one thing was established, but it really gave me insight because the students that I teach are, are older than my son. My son is seven. He's in first grade. And I probably would be that teacher that I didn't know where to have this conversation uh, with my class of first graders. I probably wouldn't have known what to do. And um, I think that, and I know that every every child is at a different stage and every child is going to have a different understanding of where to go with this kind of a, a story or this kind of an event. Um, but I was able to sort of gauge in that situation. So it really had me thinking about not only how I would talk to the students that I have in the classroom in front of me on a daily basis, but then as a parent, how am I talking to my, my children who are, who might be younger? Um, how would I talk to my class when they are a primary class? when you know that this is something that is our moral responsibility to be able to have these conversations with our students. And, and so this is probably for me, a more personal reason as to why this was so important. So sorry, Che, I just wanted to drop that, that anecdote in there. I don't know why you're saying sorry. Um, you, it's a great anecdote. I jotted down some notes because some stuff I hadn't monitored or I, I hadn't monitored, I hadn't paid attention to or I hadn't thought of. And you talked about as I was engaging that conversation, I had to monitor and understand that it could go either way at any moment. And there's that level of emotional intelligence 
uh, that I wanted to get to at some point, but that was the perfect example for it as a teacher. I got to monitor uh, how the conversation is going. And so I like that. And then I also liked at the, the beginning is you can't assume anyone knows uh, everything or nothing or what everyone, where everyone is at in this space. I think we, we've sort of experienced in our middle school teaching is that students, despite everything that's going on around them, do have their, their own lives and their own experiences, and they're not all necessarily getting the news or getting the information or emotionally connected to the story yet because they haven't had a chance to digest it or um, uh, be a part of it yet. So I like the part is that you, have, you can't make those blind assumptions of where everyone's at. And that just leads me to think this is why the teacher can't you have to decenter yourself because ultimately um, we know when these moments are going through we are consuming vast amounts of news and stories and clips and I like the fact that you prompted um, your son with questions 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 their questions allowed the conversation to to manifest and that allowed you to monitor um, so I thought those things were great and you, you know what I don't have vast experience with young children's in dealing with these events and more so importantly I don't have experience setting up a young classroom space to know what are all the foundational pieces that I've put into practice and used we know Pamela on the news talked about really engaging in storytelling and I sort of had this on my own notes is that the key to being able to talk about racism and oppression is really rooted in culturally relevant and responsive pedagogy. And some of those foundational pieces is celebrating and honoring stories. And then I added some notes. I think we've had this conversation on the side that in certain subjects, it becomes very easy, I think, to embed this type of work. Um, I think of language arts and I think of history as subjects that we naturally gravitate to these type of learning moments and thus even still compartmentalize it a little bit. And so I had jotted it down here. You really need to embed anti-racism, checking colonial oppression through every subject matter, that it's embedded in the curriculum. We had this conversation the other day that a math class doesn't have to have a single computation that day. It could be about exploring the different ways different cultures have appreciated numbers, how they've humanized their mathematics. Um, you can in, in embed all kinds of just stories about math and different cultures and identity. And so when it comes time to talk about perhaps an incident that's happened, you have all these foundational pieces. So I had that as foundational as lots of celebration, honoring stories, but making sure it's not just a token activity. It's not just something around the curriculum. It is the curriculum. And then beyond subjects like language arts or social studies, make sure in our math, in our science, in our art, in our music, these conversations, these questioning, whose story is being erased, what are we missing, how can we honor diverse um, appreciation of the music, of the arts, these are things that have to happen all the time. And then I wrote the next part was making sure that in that culturally responsive framework is that you, you check yourself and you inform yourself before engaging in this conversation and there is a little bit of flow you have to find because you can't wait until you know everything to dive into these conversations but you can also not rush into these conversations not knowing anything and in a concept to learn you have to be avid you use that it's your moral obligation and responsibility to be aware to look things up to read to find youtube videos to engage in articles and it and learning doesn't mean asking racialized people to guide you through it 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just shoulder the emotional burden on them. Teach me, teach me, teach me. No, you, you, you actively have to look this up yourself. And so that if you ask a specific question, you can when I'm thinking about my teaching practice. So there does come that personal uh, PD. I have to be uh, an avid learner myself so that when I need that additional support, then I can ask uh, questions. I had that in there. Um, and then when you and you, uh, go one more thing and then you can cut me off. But this okay. this reminded me where your where your anecdote got to came down to empathy, mm-hmm. and I commented here with all these components and pace of celebrating, honoring, checking yourself, informing yourself. We want to build up uh, access and understanding to emotional intelligence, and when we build up that emotional intelligence, we build up this awareness of perspective. We build up our capacity for empathy, and hopefully, with empathy, we create natural pathways and accesses to impact the mirror, the window, and the sliding door. I'm just going to give a little moment for all of that wisdom to set in. <laughs> that, was, that was great. I loved uh, so many of the points that you made, Che, uh, starting with decentering yourself, making sure that you're utilizing storytelling in your classroom space, um, understanding that uh, anti-racism, anti-oppression conversations don't just happen in in those those subjects where the the subject matter lends itself to those stories like language arts and history. Uh, that we can having be having these conversations in math, we can be having these conversations in physical education, in music, everywhere within the curriculum. We really do need to be embedding it everywhere. Um, I also had making sure that you are educating yourself or informing yourself on my list of uh, must things to do to in order to be able to have these conversations with our students, making sure that we are gathering our own information and not because somebody has told you that this is a great resource to go with and then just settling on that one piece of reading or one podcast episode. Um, you really need to be getting information from multiple sources, uh, multiple um, media and be taking in as much as you can. And then have these moments, such as what Che and myself are doing at this very moment, and, and reflecting on all of that learning, and reflecting, write it down. Write down what you know and you understand about uh, teaching anti-racism and anti-oppression. This is, it, it's crucial to what we bring into our spaces every day, and it allows us to have these conversations in a much, um, I don't want to say easier way because it's never easier. It's never easy to have these conversations, but in a way where we feel uh, a little bit more self-efficacy with the conversations that we're having with our students. And, and that allows for more vulnerability with our students. It allows for more humility with our students. This is um, how we are going to be able to have uh, those courageous conversations with our students. So um, educating ourselves and then knowing how to talk about it. And I think that this is probably for many teachers, the most challenging part. And I know that, um, this year and in, uh, the last couple of years, I've really focused on starting my school year with, uh, like really deep discussions on identity and personal identity and knowing the self and, um, making sure that we know and understand who we are, where we come from and what makes us the person that we are 
before we can engage in understanding the people that are around us. And so this has been a very important thing for me. And, um, and this, this goes beyond things like, you know, what are the holidays that you celebrate? This goes beyond, uh, what are your, the foods that you eat at home? This, this is more about, you know, what, what are the naming ceremonies in your culture or in your religion? Uh, this is, you know, when, when you invite people over for dinner, who eats first? Do you serve others before you serve yourself? in those situations. This is the dynamics. This is the culturally relevant pedagogy. This is how we are then going to be able to engage with our students throughout the year. And then on top of that, I also had, we want to be able to use correct terminology. So language is very important and not just understanding the language for ourselves, but making sure that our students understand the language. So do a full unit on, on the language anti-oppressive language. Um, there are lots of websites that are out there. If you just Google, uh, anti-oppression glossary, um, you'll find many, many sites where people have curated some of those keywords that you want to be able to teach students bias, equity, equality, knowing the difference between equity and equality, justice, oppression, racism, um, where all of these words come from and why they have, why they have such importance to the topics that we are going to be engaging in throughout the year. Um, so this is something that I've been working on myself is making sure that students understand these key terms because we are going to be using them, um, often throughout the year and correctly and making sure that the students are able to correct others when those words are not being appropriately used and, uh, allowing others to understand that we can't be using euphemisms to, um, sort of show, uh, what we are trying to say, right? Let's use the correct terminology. Um, telling the untold stories, right? Getting to know the other side, putting yourself in the shoes of the underdog. This is another point that I had. Sometimes the stories that we really need to tell are the ones that are not part of the popular media. So we really, and this, this ties in hand in hand with educating yourself and knowing all the sides of the story. Um, I think that that's a really important key as well. Try not to take shortcuts you know, but at the same time, understand the emotional intelligence of the students. Um, when you are, when you are telling a particular story or teaching about a particular thing, you really need to understand and read your students and know when is a good time to stop for the day or know when is a good time to push a little bit further as well. So, um, let's not stop when things are just starting to get to a point that an aha moment or those light bulbs are starting to turn on, um, and, and try not to go around the story, but really get into the story that you are trying to tell about a particular event or, 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 a, or a historical lesson perhaps. Um, and then make, allow students to make connections and you yourself as the teacher, as the educator in the space, make personal connections, take world happenings and bring them into your personal life and say, I experienced something like this. What this allows students to do is to empathize. It allows them to feel the feelings themselves. So they know what it, what it might feel like to go through something like that. And of course we don't want to trivialize events like this, but at the same time, the empathy portion allows students to really understand the depth of the pain or the discomfort or, um, really 
the emotions that go hand in hand with some of the things that are happening so that students don't get um, desensitized to these big news events that tend to happen that will continue to happen uh, throughout their lives as well. So um, those are just a few additions that I had. Uh, many of them tie into some of the things that you talked about, Che, and um, I think, yeah, they, they all go hand in hand together. I had one I was going to add on as you were talking about knowing that you bring a bias and your space has a bias and your resources have a bias. And part of checking yourself and getting informed is just appreciating that you as the teacher bring a certain bias to the conversation intended or not. And we really do need to decenter ourselves. So it like, how do I engage in the conversation? Well, uh, you know, I love to share uh, courageous conversations, the four, mm-hmm. um, I won't say commandments, four they're not agreements. commandments, four agreements of courageous conversation by Chris Singleton, who I saw live in my second year of teaching 20 years ago, but it still is embedded in me, the words he said, because he was so passionate. I think it was Glenn Singleton, yes? Yes. Sorry, what did I say? Chris Singleton? Chris. Sorry. Chris is a great guy too, but I think we're talking about Chris, uh, Glenn. Glenn. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the four uh, pillars of his courageous conversation, which is to stay engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, speak your truth. Experience discomfort. And then expect and accept non-closure. And I always find with adults and with students, when you have these founding principles, it always gives us a place to appreciate our feelings, our understandings, have empathy. Um too often, a lot of times, conversations come about speaking our truths and then taking the liberty to speak other people's truths. I think this has always been my favorite one because it's the one I think that gets just um, misused is the wrong word. But I think so often people share their lived experiences and then go on to explain other people's lived experiences. Yeah. And I think one thing I've been really mindful of is I can have my experience but I want to make sure I'm not erasing others by assuming any sort of, of claim that I, I that I know your experience and I could speak on your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was always an important one to me. Uh, and then it leads into these conversations is, is I wrote down here, stay current, stay local. Mm-hmm. And, and those ties and those pathways to the more historical colonialization, histor- historical racism, they come from the local stories, the current stories. I've always found that when you start far and away, you disconnect and you yeah. sort of dishonor Absolutely. your moments in your space and you create this fallacy that it can't be happening close by. And so I've always actually liked to work the other way or, or I've, I've built to try to work the other way that I want to talk local. I want to talk uh, the here and now and then reach back to those spaces. And I, I give an example on the, the 215 children that were found uh, unmarked graves at the residential school. And so we talked a little bit about that. But at our local university, they had torn down a statue. Mm-hmm. And so I took that uh, picture and I put it in a, a jam board and I put the board, the jam board multiple times. What do you see? What do you infer? Make a hashtag about this. Share another picture associated with this. And and then I added another one. And what it did was it was, uh, I, oh, I asked, where was this? And we made that, it was a local connection that despite it being Canadian and being BC, there was still a disconnect. So I set up this situation to really bring the conversation local, but I didn't guide the conversation. I just had those guiding prompts. And 
the level of engagement and the amount people were finding and then the conversation so the amount of pictures people found related to that was intense and then i think i asked them to what would you say to what question would you ask the president of this school and it was a lot of conversations and the students didn't quite they they hadn't found the what had gone on yet but that's all right they were exploring and they were having feelings and they were challenging and they were upset and it was really great dialogue on that jamboard per se that conversation and then the conversation started because a few people used and you you talked about the vocabulary you used a few students used the word vandalism to describe the photo. Mm. And then a few students pushed back and they said, whoa, if that's vandalism, what have white men been doing in Canada? Oh, That was it. It was just like, because we were picking up vocabulary that had come out more often. And, you know, people saw this statue being spray painted and torn down and the head knocked off as vandalism. Can and I give a little bit yeah. of a backstory yeah. to, the, to the statue mm-hmm. itself? It belonged to Egerton Ryerson, who is... Uh, was instrumental in the creation of the residential school system here in Canada. And uh, Ryerson University is named after Egerton. Uh, Ryerson and his statue is up, I think, well, it was up in front of the university or somewhere close by. And this is the statue that we're we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that conversation piece, that access, it, it, it came back to really core principles of great teaching, exploration, uh, questioning, where you decenter yourself. And so the students fully engaged, they engage in more conversations. Behind that, though, was, of course, that we had been talking about this extensively throughout the year. But I just wanted to add those sort of those moments on where how I like to use current and then work back to sort of the bigger historical and not try to go the other way. Because I often find that if we try to go to these historical reference points, we just trivialize what's going on in our communities. And I think, especially with the the London incident just this week. It's just, this is this is in our community. This is right beside us. This is in our classroom. We need look no further for racism. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a very poignant place for us to take a little bit of a break, Che. I think that we've, uh, as, as we mentioned at the start of this episode, it's quite a heavy one. It's a difficult one, um, but it is a very necessary one. And we felt that it was necessary enough for us to, after, after this couple of weeks that we've had, uh, we've had some successes, we've had some failures, we've had some moments where we thought we wish we could do that again a little bit differently, and therefore we thought that this would be a um, an appropriate conversation for tonight. So let's take it out to a commercial break, and then we'll be back to wrap up this episode. And this episode is brought to you by Chayampav.com, where you can check out The Drive, our live radio show on Sunday nights, 8.30 to 10. It's Tunes, Teacher Talk. And global connection, and we'll soon be switching to our Friday morning time slot for the summer. You can also engage in this content by writing a guest blog. Because, of course, Pav and I are not gatekeepers, and we do not have all the answers. We merely reflect, and the learning comes in the dialogue and the conversation where we remain engaged afterwards. So if something has struck a nerve or something you feel you have a great example to share, please, let's keep the conversation going so we can continue to be mutual learners and collectively growing. And that's what this episode is brought to you by, and we will be back in three seconds. And we are back on episode 90, talking about how do we deal with racism and colonial oppression in our teaching. 
and we'll continue the conversation in a minute. I think, Pav, you and I will get to a few more practitioner examples because ultimately, what is our strength or what is our value? Our value is that we taught this week and we taught the week before and we're going to teach next week. Uh, most of the things we share aren't necessarily any of our own uh, our own grand ideas. It's just mm-hmm. bits and pieces we've picked up from so many of our listeners and so many of other places we go to sort of broaden our own uh, teaching. And so we'll get into a, a few examples. And, you know, this space always reminds me of one of the, you know, we get, Great feedback. But you know, sometimes there's something uh, magical when the feedback matches what you're trying to produce. You know, some people will say, oh, you guys are this for us. And we don't think of ourselves that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, comments about always being willing to talk about the tough talking points. Mm-hmm. And then certain comments that you can talk about something fun one week and you can dive into something really dense the next week or heavy the next week. And I think that's, that is teaching in and of itself. Right. Is you talk about that emotional intelligence or you monitor what's going on around you. When is it all right for an episode to be more relaxed? And when is it pressing to make sure that we're dealing with the issues? And we know as much as we've been embedding this work in almost everything we've been doing throughout the year, there are certain moments where it is elevated and the conversations um, have been elevated. We haven't even talked about Israel-Palestine, which has also right. been a really heated uh, subject recently on whether you're going to address it or not. And it it creates lines, division, because yeah. people have to take a decision and then you have to decide, are you committed to this work or are you not? Because when you're committed to the work, and this has been sort of a talking point for me in my class all year, one, for me to try to teach my students, but two, for my students to teach teach me and make sure that I am becoming more and more aware of all the different social justice issues and the ones that have sort of got my attention or ones that I'm fixated on, I have to make sure I'm not ignoring others because I'm fixated solely on certain ones. And I think... That's been part of our collective growth is that idea of making sure if you're committed to social justice, then you are committed to all social justice, whether you have a sort of personal connection or not, you have to, you have to have that empathy, that part of that emotional intelligence. And so I shared that experience before break about using photography as a great access point to bringing up something local. Mm-hmm. Or using local connections, decentering myself, allowing students spaces to ask questions. And we talk about conversation paths. Sorry, I'll get to yours. Conversation doesn't always have to be an oral conversation. Mm-hmm. When we say have a courageous conversation, there can be multiple ways. Because we know in our classroom, when you engage in sort of hands up, it often becomes the first or the loudest to respond. And once that pattern's been established, it's very tough to shake that pattern. And so you won't hear people engage in the story, even if they have something of value. They just get used to what's going to transpire so when we say we're having a courageous conversation it can be on a jam board Mm -hmm. it can be in a little suggestion box i know in my classroom face to face i always had that tough talk thursday bin where people would come and they could just drop a suggestion if they wanted to talk about something and went in there and so we would bring it up once a week and to go through the bin and what had been brought up what would what did we want to talk about and so when we talk about courageous conversations, we want to differentiate. We do want to find multiple ways to engage in that conversation and not fixate and say we're having a conversation it means that we're all sitting around having that conversation. That conversation manifests in many different ways. Um, Pab, you, you've done some great stuff in your class this week. And by great stuff, I mean heavy stuff, important stuff. Do you want to share a couple of, um, couple of incidents that have been going on in your room? 
Yeah, I, w- I would love to actually. Um, and I have to highlight that often when I when I do things in my class, um, I'm just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping that something sticks, right? Like it's, it's never, um, no, I don't want to say never, it's, it's often very intentional, uh, but sometimes it's not. And, and that conversation just kind of manifests organically. Um, but what I, I do like to do always is start with, uh, opening up the dialogue and allowing the students to ask the first few questions and, and then directing the conversation that way. And I actually, I never really reflected on the fact that I, uh, that I do that. Um, I have a, I have a new co-teacher in, in the class as of about, I don't know, a month and a half ago, a month ago or so. And, um, and she actually pointed that out and you talked about feedback, right? Che, you talked about receiving feedback from people who are listeners and, and, you know, hitting those points where, you know, we're trying to do this and people recognize that we're trying to do that and they appreciate that. Um, so I received some feedback to say that I really enjoy the way that you engage the students. Um, and I never had really given it any thought. This was just my comfortable way of accessing the information within the classroom, um, is, is putting something out there, a topic and allowing that processing time for students to respond first so that I know where to take the conversation and it's not presenting the information right away and not saying, well, this is what happened. And so let's talk about it. Um, it's saying, what do you know about this? Um, and bringing it up in that way so that we can start organically from where, wherever they are. That's really essentially how you can meet them is determining what they know about a particular situation. This is why photography images, pictures are so important because they invoke reactions. Um, and so the, the reactions are often very intuitive. They're very emotional. And, and that is often a great place to start. When I did the statue photo, I didn't identify that it was local. Mm-hmm. It came up in the exploration. I see. Yes. Um, which reminds you were telling about that is get those students access. Part of that, that, uh, assignment was share with me something you found. And we've talked a lot this year about, you know what, it's great if you go to vetted news sources that I think are important, but I think one of my own growth is that I have, have learned to appreciate that students are finding quality information and sharing quality, if not great, if not, uh, tremendous information from spaces they are comfortable navigating and negotiating and in all the time. And so a lot of students shared clippets and screenshots of TikToks on these issues. Mm-hmm. And so in a part of the theme was share a, a newspaper heading, screenshot something you found. And early on in the year, I found a lot of students were chasing what they thought I wanted. Mm-hmm. CTV, CBC, Global News. But We've had conversations as building this work is about understanding where they're finding information and validating where they're finding right. information. Not yeah. telling you got to chase where I'm going, but if TikTok is where you're finding information, then share what you're finding. Collectively, we continue to share and the conversation will 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 manifest and things will be seen to be highly accurate, maybe not as accurate on all in all places, whether it's from the CBC or the Toronto Star or TikTok. And I think that that what you just mentioned there also lends itself 
itself very nicely into having conversations about digital citizenship and critical thinking in in the classroom space and and talking about how do you know that a source is is valid how do you know that it's credible how do you know that this information is correct um and so there are different than look look fors that you can have i know this is deviating a little bit but um but i think that that's an important conversation to have because students are going to grow up taking this information and we know that information is becoming shorter and shorter and shorter the amount of time that 15 second time frame that you have to be able to get your information out to people this is not something that's going to change this is this is the evolution of receiving information the information is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and you need to be able to get that information out to students in that way because that's how they're receiving it so i think that that lends itself very well into that conversation um, I wanted to provide a little bit of an example of some of the things, some of the conversations that we have had. Um, and we talked about, we talked a lot about residential schools in the start of our school year. We, we actually spent a, a large amount of time uh, talking about residential schools and talking about uh, this untold story or this story that, you know, they may have heard of what residential schools were in the past, but not really fully understanding. We read a lot of stories. Uh, we read uh, Stolen Words, Shishi Atko. There were lots of conversations. We let, read a lot of articles about um, constellations losing their oral history, the oral storytelling involved with uh, the indigenous understanding of what constellations meant. We read, um, we read about Ottawapiskat in Northern Ontario and understanding what the injustices were that people were experiencing that lived there and comparing those towns to towns that surround the community that we live in. Um, and so when it came to having this discussion about the, the unmarked graves, um, of the 215 children, um, students had a very strong understanding of what those children, what those lives might have been like when those children were alive. And, and so organically, I had a lot of students saying, well, those students might have tried to run away and tried to get back to their families, which is why they might have been killed. And there were a lot of conversations about that. And then when you were talking about the first and the loudest, I have a first and a loudest. And a lot of uh, students in the class tend to not speak because they know that there's always going to be something that is, is said and brought up, um, which can be a deterrent in some ways, but can also be a conversation starter in other ways. And in this situation, it was a, a huge conversation starter because a student had mentioned, well, how are you going to tell me that, that people didn't know about this? This is obviously not a secret. People knew about this. This is just getting out to everybody else now. Obviously, people put those children in those graves, so they knew about this. And why haven't we heard about it until now? And that was um, such a huge talking point for so many students. It was almost like a light bulb going off with, with the students and, and allowed for opening up of more dialogue and more conversation and then really sharing about what they thought might have happened and then bringing up the, the point that, well, these kinds of graves might exist at every residential school that exists in Canada. 
In fact, they probably do. And so we talked a lot about that as well. And so it was absolutely a very organic conversation, which stemmed from something like a very simple statement and, uh, and all of this sort of came from there. And so that there were lots of great conversations happening in the class. None of them were really like planned out like a lesson plan. Like first I'm going to talk about this, talk about that. It was very much based on where the conversation went. And I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation. I really want to highlight this point. I wouldn't have been able to had this conversation with the students unless I had done my own learning first, because I wouldn't know where to take that conversation next. It would make me maybe as a teacher uncomfortable and say, I think I need to stop now because I don't know where to take this conversation next. And so, um, that for me was a really big point and, and I'm, I'm very glad that I had done some reading beforehand. Pav, and also it's a great example of all the work you have been doing all year long. Students were able to engage in the content. Students made these very empathetic conversations, uh, poignant comments about, um, they must have known they were trying to escape. Um, to get back to their families because you had embedded that in the learning throughout the year. So there was a place to now bring these conversations. Um, this has been a rich conversation. Um, before we go into a little swag bag and give you a little quote, just a reminder that we're not gatekeepers. We're just two practitioners. And we're sharing, you know, things that have worked with us or things that haven't worked and sort of how our own learning has manifested at this space does this mean there's that we're done growing? No, the learning is later. The learning is with the feedback. The learning is with the comments. When you say, well, Champab, did you consider this? What about that? Have you read this? That propels our learning. This is the reflection. And of course, reflection in and of itself does not guarantee growth. And so we welcome and are thought, uh, glad that you join us in this space to continue the conversation, to collectively uh, grow together. And sometimes our episodes are more playful and sometimes you've got to be re responsible the moral obligation to deal with what's in front of you right here and right now and certainly in toronto in canada to to the privilege to be able to say i don't need to talk about this right now is indeed the essence of privilege or the in the ability to be able to say i don't need to talk about this would of course be privilege in and of itself so pav how about a quote from you and then i'll take us out with a little swag bag that sounds great jay and the quote that we decided on for today is, is actually a very famous and, and common one, especially lately. I've seen it often in social media. It's by uh, Desmond Tutu. Quote, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. End quote. Powerful quote to remind yourself when you decide, well, maybe I shouldn't bring this up. That is in itself privilege, and that that maintains the system. It maintains the oppressor's uh, oppression. That's right. And if we want to disrupt that, we really need to be having these uh, these conversations of social justice with our students. Because as some of our other learning is, when you're a disruptor, what are you putting at risk? And ultimately, to be a co-conspirator does mean we have to put something at risk. That is mm -hmm. virtually the definition of disruption. And this is, we've had this conversation before. People love to call themselves disruptors when, or they love to preach they're taking a risk, but are you really taking a risk? And then do you trivialize the people that really do take risks? And I would not um, 
project and say that I am a disruptor yet. I got I got I got to produce a lot more receipts. Oh, this yeah. this is growth for me and this is a, a new place I want to be in and I'm growing and I'm getting better every day but I see the works of other people and they're like oh no 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 don't call me a disruptor. I want to be what you are and I'm monitoring and I'm checking myself and I'm doing my bit but I don't quickly ascend to say I'm a disruptor. I haven't done that yet. I ha- I don't know if I've ever risked anything yet. Absolutely. All right, let's get to a swag bag. Mm-hmm. Okay, this episode has been about uh, how and why do we talk about racism and colonial oppression. And I think one of the first points we had was that this work really talks about celebrating and honoring stories and identity all the time, regardless of age, regardless of curriculum. And sometimes when we lend itself to theme days or when we lend itself to merely language arts... We compartmentalize it, and we want to embed it in everything. There are conversations about oppression, colonial oppression, to be had in race, to to be had in math, to be had in science. We want to embed this conversation everywhere with that asset lens. It's about honoring identities and and, uh, lived experiences that puts us in a place that we can deal with the oppressive tendencies later. Um, I had here, um, I had that celebrate component. Embed celebrate we want to make sure we're honoring uh achievements and growth and so that we're not talking with the deficit lens our first access point into talking about racism uh, should not be with a deficit lens we need to build everyone up celebrate their personal successes celebrate their cultural successes in your space and i had this last one was the idea of staying local staying current the history and those gateways to those vast important stories they will come but often if we start far away we create a false sense of security and reality what's going on in our spaces today and i think this lesson is this lesson this episode has really been spurred on by the events of what's going on in canada and as canadians we look we need look no further than canada our communities our classrooms to find oppressive behaviors that we need to disrupt we need to take, put something on the line in order to be true disruptors, true dismantlers of this oppressive system. And you've been listening to episode 90. How of- do we talk about racism and oppression with students? <laughs>